Welcome to the NLP View with your host, Donna Blinston. Each week, Donna will explore how the techniques of NLP can help improve your personal and professional life. And now, here's your host, Donna Blinston. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the NLP View radio show. My name is Donna Blinston. On today's show, I'll be speaking to Beth Lambert, author of the best-selling book, A Compromised Generation, The Epidemic of Chronic Illness in America's Children. Beth Lambert is a former healthcare consultant and teacher who founded Epidemic Answers in 2009 in order to educate people about the epidemic of chronic illness affecting the current generation of children, providing preventative and healing solutions for parents, caregivers and future parents. Beth has focused on learning disabilities, namely ADHD, ADD, autism spectrum disorders, amongst other chronic illnesses, and found that those learning disabilities are treatable both medically and therapeutically, explaining that children with autism have profound systemic biological dysfunction. Beth's work shows that the correction of these dysfunctions and the holistic and psychotherapeutic assessment of these children can rapidly improve, if not remove, the symptoms and their child's behaviour. Neurolinguistic programming, NLP, is a way of understanding how we use language to program our brain. NLP helps us to understand how we process this information and create a simplified version of our experience in our mind. This is often referred to as subjective experience, which in NLP we study, aiming to understand how individuals put their experiences, pictures, feelings and actions together, and how effective they are at achieving the results they want. This enables the recognition of any limiting behavioural, communication, learning or emotional patterns and provides tools needed to do something about it. So I'd like to welcome to the show Beth Lambert. Hello, Beth. Hi, Donna. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, you're welcome. You're really welcome. Thank you for joining us today on the show. I believe personally that it's so important to provide families with as much information as possible to help them find answers and to understand, basically, what's happening with their children. I can do a lot from the NLP side, and I'm sharing my knowledge and interviewing inspiring people like Olive Hitmott, who recently joined us on the show. Um, but there's also the other side, which is what you're an expert in, so I um, I believe it's right to provide that side as well. Um, so thank you for joining me today. Happy, happy to be here. Thank you. Before we start, Beth, could you tell our audience about yourself? Uh, sure. Um, I sort of... I never thought that I would be in this sphere, in this realm at all. In fact, um, probably six or seven years ago, I didn't really even know what autism was, um, nor did I really um, give much thought to ADHD or allergies or any other chronic conditions. Um, And then I became a mother, and my oldest child, I now have three kids, my oldest child, um, when she was about two and two and a half, started developing all kinds of bizarre symptoms, and was the kind of thing that uh, you know, we went to gastroenterologists and allergists and as many different kinds of uh, mainstream positions as you could think of to try and figure out what's going on with her. She had uh, sensory issues. She had behavioral problems. She had um, eczema. She had a distended belly. She had all these kinds of um, strange symptoms, but nothing that really merited a diagnosis from the perspective of conventional medicine. Um, and it was a real problem. I mean, she, really, it was behavioral. Um, and it was it was way more than the terrible twos or, you know, any kind of t- typical developmental stages. And um, what we found is that physiologically, there were all kinds of things that were happening with her that were that were out of whack, that were imbalanced. 
Um, and it was manifesting itself in symptoms, particularly behavioral symptoms. And so we found this by going to a physician who is who specializes in treating children with autism biomedically. And then we also started working with holistic healthcare practitioners. And what we found is that she had all these tremendous imbalances in the bacteria in her gut, known as gut dysbiosis. And she had inflammation throughout her body. And she had tons of food sensitivities. So everything we were eating that she was eating, and we were trying to feed her healthy food, but all the healthy food she was eating day in, day out, were actually causing inflammation in her body. And what we found was that these, this inflammation, this chronic state of inflammation that she was in, and sort of and some exposure she had in environment, they were contributing to behavioral symptoms. And so it was a big wake-up call for me as a parent. But I also started to look around and, and realize that all the children I saw on the playground, the kids with a red cheek, um, you know, the kids who had eczema, the kids who were mm-hmm. had oppositional behavior or, um, you know, different kinds of problem behaviors, that there was something going on physiologically and there was a biological basis for much of what was going on with them. And so that's where I began my wow. journey and started researching. And that's when it resulted in um, the development of my book, which was looking at why are so many kids affected and what can we do to help them? Wow. <laughs> well, I take my hat off to you. <laughs> I can I can only imagine, I've, I've got a, a young little boy myself, he's 18 months now, and I can only imagine what it must be like wanting to find those answers and not get anywhere, despite knowing yourself as a mum that there's something there's something else that you're missing. So it must have been hugely rewarding, I guess, for you from a, a mother's perspective, let alone from a um, a biggest perspective Absolutely. to be able to pin things down and give answers. Yeah, definitely. And um, you know, I have now have an eight-year-old who has no symptoms, no problems, and I and I feel very strongly had I not intervened, had we not changed her diet and you know done some therapeutic work and um, you know, holistic healing for her, that she would probably have some kind of diagnosis like a bipolar disorder or some kind of you know quote psychiatric diagnosis. Certainly, she'd have a learning disability. There would be issues, but she's normal, healthy, thriving, happy. Um, and my kids subsequently have have sort of a Avoided those problems because I now know what the contributing factors are. So it's very rewarding, and I feel like it's my mission to let other parents know that that you know if they see the signs in their kids that there's interventions, there's things you can do to help get your kids on the right track. And do you think that this can be done at any age? Does it need to be caught early, or can it be you know say you've now discovered it with your daughter being eight? Um, would, I do. Would now be too late. I, would it, would I, th- being great? I think you can Sorry. intervene at any age. Um, you know, I I think that everybody's problems are different. Everybody's imbalances in their bodies are different. But I think the the most the best work can be done when you start early. Obviously, I and mean, if you find the soft signs in an infant or a young child, a toddler, that child's going to have the best outcome. But you can take somebody who is, you know, 60, 70-year-old and do, do similar kind of interventions and change your life. There's a great story in the medical literature of a woman who was um, 74 years old and she had schizophrenia and she had been institutionalized her entire life for, for pretty severe symptoms associated with schizophrenia. And then at one point, somebody in one of the institutions, um, a physician recommended that she try going on a gluten-free diet. And she tried removing wheat because she had a wheat sensitivity, they found. And it wasn't celiac, and it wasn't something you found in your traditional standard lab work. It was a sensitivity. They removed wheat from her diet, and all of her symptoms of schizophrenia disappeared. And, you know, this is the kind of thing that's starting to come out. It's in the medical literature now. But um, that's a 74-year-old woman. And then all of a sudden, she was, you know, normally functioning and didn't need to be institutionalized anymore. But the point is, is there's things that you can do at any stage. But certainly, the earlier you start, the better outcomes you're going to have. 
I certainly see with our patients um, from you know from an NLP coaching perspective because we look at the whole person from a holistic perspective you look at as well as the whatever they're coming to you with from a, a mental um, perspective but you also look at their diet their weight their general health because you want to provide them um, the full support around whatever it is that they're looking for and one thing that we do look at a lot is um, well, I look at but particularly is the nutrition and things like that exercise and that whole healthy, well-balanced lifestyle. And people are changing, and it's interesting to think how much of that is as much the NLP side, but also the um, additional support with the better diet. Right, and I think it's I think it's part and parcel of the same healing journey. I think you can't separate them out. I, I really think that there are. Things that you do bio, biomedically, interventions such as changing diet, nutrition, um, healing modalities for, um, you know, detoxifying the body, et cetera. But I also think that there's therapies that are critical too, um, especially after sort of neural pathways have been established because you need to, you need to make new connections, right? And especially yeah. for children who developmentally, they, their, their pathways are become divergent and they, and they go in ways that aren't really the best for them. And so you need to reestablish new networks, new neural networks, and you need to, um, luckily we have this amazing capacity um, for plasticity in our brain and, and, and the ability to change um, the pathways. And so I think that therapy um, that do that go hand in hand with biomedical interventions and present the best outcomes. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. I couldn't agree, couldn't agree more. Beth, mm -hmm. we see so many. I mean, on a simplified level for the for our audience, people who suffer from irritable bowel, they might come with an irritable bowel problem. Or when I'm discussing their problem around stress or a worry about work or career change or whatever it is they've come for one of the symptoms that they might have is an irritable bowel syndrome. So they've got that um, internal conflict going on, whether that's the source is um, an organic source, whether it is um, the bio, the, their biochemics, I guess. But because of their stress levels, their anxiety, their worry, they're causing um, changes in their energy, which are affecting their gut and in, inflaming the irritable bowel. So with what you were just saying, there's definitely that component that they do go hand in hand. You can't be very well resolving the um, the problems, but if you don't undo the reasons why the problems were there in the first place, we've got nowhere. Right, exactly. And there was um there was a great book written in the 80s by um, Michael Gershon called the, the Second Brain and talking about the enteric nervous system, so the, the entire nervous system that's located in your gut. And, and, and the connection between the gut and the brain is something that, you know, tr in traditional Western medicine, we don't recognize the way we should. And it's sort of the whole mind-body approach. But really, um, we're beginning to un un unravel that a little bit and, and understand the connection between what's going on mentally, emotionally, spiritually, and how our physical health is, um, is presenting. And so um, if we're making progress, though. There's a great new book out called Bugs, Bowels, and Behavior, and it makes the link between the gut and the brain and how if you have neurological symptoms, if you have behavioral symptoms, oftentimes it's important to look and see what's going on um, not just emotionally, spiritually, behaviorally in, in, in your environment, but also to look at what's going on in your gut. What, what are you putting in your gut? What are your exposures to your gut? Because they're all intricately linked. They are, definitely. Within, I recently interviewed um, a gentleman called Grant Zulu um, and Marvin Oka, who are the founders of Embraining. And that looks into, it's an advancement on NLP where they look into the three brains, 
and that's really advancing a lot of their foundation work stems from what you were saying and they were saying that we have got our obviously our head brains but we've also got a heart brain and your gut brain and it's the links between the three and there's the, there's more research being done which is suggested that there is other brains and how everything is as you say um, neuropathically all connected and what affects one has a knock-on effect to the rest of the body exactly yes one thing that I really that really struck me with your book was your explanation of the perfect storm where you described the environmental factors um the um, overuse of medication the poor diet nutrition the lifestyle factors and the vaccinations um, and how all that, you know, in a way, you've referred to it as, a, um, as environmental toxins, which I guess it stems on from what we're saying. I guess we don't actually appreciate how much of a turmoil is going on within the body. Right. And um, I think we also, we're looking for a single causative factor, right? So in traditional Western medical research, we're looking for, especially because we're so enamored with, gene, with genes right now, with genetics. And so we are looking for that gene that explains autism or the gene that explains ADHD. And we're, we're paying way too much attention and way too much research to that, when really what we ought to be doing is look and see, well, what's changed in the last 20 40, 50 years, because that's when we're seeing the skyrocketing rates of all these conditions. And so if you start deconstructing that, what you see is that we do a Western lifestyle. And I wrote particularly to America because I think it's probably worse in America, but it's just as bad in the UK and it's just as bad in yeah. developing nations as well. Um, but the, the point is that we have changed our lifestyle. And so the, the modern interventions in particular, there are things that we do sort of routinely without even thinking about that have consequences. For instance, we give antibiotics for every sore throat, every ear infection, every cut, bump, and bruise seems to merit a, a prescription of an antibiotic. And the problem with that is that we are destroying our microbiome, which is the, the ecology of our gastrointestinal system. We have trillions of bacteria that are in our gastrointestinal system, and they play critical roles. I mean, they help yeah. us make neurotransmitters. So if you have an imbalance in neurotransmitters, say depression, which has to do with the, you know, the levels of serotonin, for instance, being um, altered, you have to look and see what, where are we making the serotonin. The vast majority of serotonin, for instance, is made in the gastrointestinal tract, and the bacteria in there have, play a very large role. And so what we're doing is we're altering our, our, the bacteria in our gut, our microbiome. Um, and that also um, helps um, reduce our ability to detoxify because very few people know that the bacteria in our gut, the good bacteria in our gut, actually help detoxify. So when you come in, in contact with mercury or aluminum or arsenic or anything else that's neurotoxic, the bacteria help make it safer for you and help you eliminate it from your body. So if you think about how much we've done to destroy the, those good guys in our gut, the good bacteria, and then you think about all the, in the increasing number of toxins in our environment, we're much more vulnerable, and it's having consequences on our physical health. And the other thing is that we are, um, the immune system is being completely dysregulated, um, both by the bacteria, the, the disruption of the bacteria, because they play a critical role in our immune health. They actually even manufacture immune cells. These bacteria are incredibly important to our immune system. And then what we do on top of that, we expose ourselves to toxins which just regulate the immune system and then we over vaccinate our, our children when they don't have the capability to manage the, the immunizations because they are um, they're, they're essentially their immune systems are compromised so um, when I say a perfect storm it's really like no one there's no one thing that is causing the epidemic of autism there's no one thing that that makes every child develop ADHD it's really a combination of things that have happened over the last few years and it's kind of slow and insidious how this is the story has unfolded 
Um, yeah. But we're starting to understand it increasingly, which I which I'm very encouraged about. Definitely, definitely, it, it is so encouraging, and it's nice to to see. I mean, working within the alternative therapy world, there's always that barrier between the alternative therapy and the conventional medical world which, you know, we're working really, really hard to break those barriers down to start um, looking at what else can be done, um, especially when you're looking along the lines of your stress and depression and the impact that that has on a person's mental health. And it's, if we can start to, to sort out the simple things, then it'll alleviate the problems for the medical profession that's always compromised. It's always under too much pressure. There's never enough staff. There's always a problem because of that side of things. If we can relieve and remove the people who have got problems because of this, the perfect storm and um, things we've just been speaking about, if we can relieve that, then the people who really do need the help because of something else that's going on are going to get through the system and get that help quicker if it's a medical source that they need. Right, right. Now, the system is definitely taxed right now, and the, and the, the fact of the matter is is that um, there's going to be a buckling because we cannot afford to uh, continue to, to pay for all of the, um, the the medications that people re think they require, or we can't, you know, the hospitalization of asthma, for instance, is part of this whole phenomenon. It's not just um, neurobehavioral disorders or learning disabilities. It's, you know, the physical conditions like asthma. I mean, there's so many hospital visits every year due to, um, you know, children who you may need to be hospitalized because their asthma is so bad. And, you know, that's a tremendous cost and a tremendous burden on the system. And in reality, <laughs> for many kids, this, their, their asthma could be managed by changing their diet, by cleaning up their environment. Yeah. And there's a lot of the underlying anxiety that is um, a big contributing factor to asthma. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. You're right. The amount of people that um, I've worked with and spoken with about um, their asthma and then when you ask, you know, find out specifically when they do their asthma uh, as a behavior rather than have asthmatic symptoms, when you question it that way, they'll give you examples of when they do it. Mm. And it is done in response to things it, rather than um, the need for an asthma attack per se. Um, poorly chosen words there. But they'll often start getting anxious or worried or concerned, job interview, going into a new building, shopping, closed spaces, different things like that, that start their asthma to go down to a spiral. And unpicking, the, unpicking that completely re resolves their asthma problem. Mm -hmm. There is people with genuine asthma, um, lung um, deficiency problems. So for them, that is one thing. But there's always within an asthmatic... When they've got asthma, they've got an anxiety running because of the asthma itself, worrying if they're going to have an asthma attack, right. have they got enough inhalers. Right. So even if the asthma is not caused through anxiety, there is anxiety running with the asthma. Right. So there's so much that you can do to then you know, start to support that and show them alternative ways that they can deal with whatever it is that's the cause. Right, absolutely. If you think about the cost of, for instance, using an intervention like NLP, for asthma versus the hospitalizations. I mean, it's just, you know, night and day in terms of what is going to stress the system. I mean, it's, a, it's, such, a, it's such a better uh, alternative from my perspective. Definitely. So if someone came to you now, for example, um, what, what would happen? Where would you start um, in a way to identify the root cause, whether that be medically or epidermically? 
in relation to um, their um, autism or, or whatever behavioural problems that they're experiencing, where would you advise our listeners that the the source would, you know, the first place to start looking and investigating would be? Well, I always say, and this is the reason why I started um, my nonprofit organisation, Epidemic Answers. The very first thing to do is to find a good holistic or integrative uh, health practitioner, somebody who understands the mind-body connection, somebody who understands that we are um, a biology of systems, that, you know, the lungs are not separate from the brain, which is not separate from the gut. Everything is integrated. And so sometimes that's going to see a naturopath, and sometimes that's going to see a homeopath, um, and sometimes it's going to see an, an MD or a nurse practitioner or somebody who has an integrative training or a functional medicine training, um, because these are the practitioners who understand how to get at the root causes. I think part of the problem is um, is that we are so um, used to having to go to a conventionally trained medical doctor, and that's fine, um, except for there's only there's limited solutions for this epidemic of chronic illness because we are very much a symptom-driven and pharmaceutical-driven system. And so mm-hmm. for chronic illnesses like autism and asthma, uh, there are really no pharmaceutical solutions. In fact, the pharmaceutical solutions that that are prescribed are making these people worse. So I always say the very first step is to, number one, find an integrative holistic practitioner to help you get to the root of your causes because everybody is unique and everybody needs that personalized medicine, that personalized care. And the other thing is to start looking in your environment. And when I say that, I'm talking about looking at things that might be stressors in your environment. So that could include junk food, the diet, it could include electromagnetic radiation, it could include toxins in the environment. I mean, I usually tell people, what personal care products do you use? Are you using Tide and, you know, Whisk and the things that have lots of fragrances in it? Are you using dishwasher detergent that has um, toxic uh, bleach in it? Are you using shampoos that have phthalates and, and other kinds of endocrine disruptors in them? You know, what kinds of stressors are you putting on your body? So, you know, if you're going to make it very simple, you know, step-by-step procedure, how do you reverse chronic illness? Number one, you find a holistic practitioner, and number two, you clean up your environment. And, to, you know, in with regard to what NLP can do, that means cleaning up your mental and your emotional environment, too, and trying to figure out what might be stressing your body and your system emotionally, spiritually, mentally. So really cleaning up your environment is, is physical, but it's also emotional as well. It is emotional. That's one of the places that we start, um, especially when we're looking at someone's logical levels. And we always start at the foundation, which is going back to Bateson's work, where we look at their environment. And that can be whether they're coming from um, whatever it is they're coming from. But we always start at their environment and the impact the environment has got on them on on that particular problem that they're having. If we don't sort the environment, we can't go to the next level, the next level being their capabilities and skills. If we can't, if that isn't sorted, you can't go on to look at their behaviours. Mm. If that isn't start, sorted, you can't look at their beliefs or values. And then again, higher, it goes on to identity and goes on to mission. Mm-hmm. And it's all around realignment of that person. Well, if their environment is so scattered underneath their feet, they're not grounded. So from a spiritual point of view, if they're not grounded and their energy is all displaced because it's focusing on the inflamed bowel, or, uh, or different areas that we've discussed already. If it isn't in balance and it isn't aligned, then there's going to be problems with that person from an energy level, but also from a mental level, because they're almost wasting time on certain areas, certain behaviours, anxieties and beliefs that aren't needed. Mm-hmm. So we always do look at their environment and 
the aim being to get a psychosocially stable environment. And once that has been addressed, then we can start looking at their behaviours because a lot of their behaviours will have spiralled because of that environment. And that will be their home environment, their work environment, their social environment with regards to the communities they live in. Um, from on there, once we can look and start unpicking that, we can then look at the skills they believe they have or they haven't got, right. why those skills are important, why what they believe about themselves in relation to those behaviours that they can do or the skills they can and they can't do. And it kind of all builds up until you get a sense of self. Mm -hmm. And as you say, it is, it's environment. So you, it's, it's the, the grounding, isn't it, for everybody? Absolutely. And I cannot stress enough the importance of mothers um, with regard to this epidemic of chronic childhood illness. Um, there are so many amazing what we've come to call warrior moms, moms who are aggressively trying to heal and recover their kids. I mean, they feel like, oh, my children have been exposed to all these environmental assaults, whether it's vaccines or antibiotics or toxins or whatever it is. And they're really, really focused and, and stressed about healing their kids. And then oftentimes they, you know, they get their kids better to a point and then they hit a roadblock. This actually happened to me as well, is where you feel like they get better and then there's still there's still a missing piece. And then what I learned, and I've also seen this many, many times with other mothers and parents, is that that roadblock um, can be removed once the parent starts working on themselves. In other words, start sort of unraveling their emotional or psychological issues or um, starts, you know, relaxing a little bit and starts de-stressing their own um, environment and so because the children are so sensitive to what's going on with their parents and they read every single um, behavior so deeply and so when a parent is stressed that is going to stress the child so I feel like you know working on the mom or the dad or who, whoever's the primary caregiver for that child is just as important as working on the child when they have a chronic illness I couldn't have put it better myself yeah I couldn't it certainly is. We don't. I don't think we take. We appreciate how much of an impact we have. And children are just like sponges, mm -hmm. and they do absorb all of um, our behaviours, our beliefs, our values, um, everything. They learn and copy us. So that there's a lot that are learnt behaviours that are manifesting, and behaviours that maybe are created in a way to get a response. Mm-hmm. And then the response, because it gets that positive response, it might be a negative response they're getting, they're getting what they want. Mm -hmm. So it's all that going back to attention seeking. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure there'll be a lot of mums that are listening or families that, um, you know, disagree with that kind of a statement. Because there is, there'll be some children that do have a lot of what's seen in NLP is they're, they're very busy mentally. And a lot of their, um, their fluttery, um, anxious behavior for a want of a better word is because they're well we think of it as they're kind of playing two different stories and two different realities at once in their mind mm -hmm. which is why they flick from one to they'll flick from one to another or because there's so much going on they just can't compute the reality of what's happening now mm -hmm. if there is um, a stressful environment at home that would exasperate those symptoms so it is addressing that, and also for the children that are that do have those um, those sensory problems, we see with autism that there is a lot of sensory problems where they're oversensitive with their hearing, or their sight is oversensitive, so they're seeing things at a much bigger detail than we are. So it's looking at what's actually going on. How can the parents listen 
really listen and watch their child so that they can use tools that NLP provides in order to slow down and help that child to relax. And it's, that, again, linking into the behaviour then. Once, once the child's relaxed, the, the parent is more relaxed and everything starts to settle down. Right, and it's easier for the parents at that point too to sort of address some of the things that are going on biochemically or physiologically with the kids. I mean, it's like the anxiety you mentioned, There's, it's multifactorial usually, right? There's usually a microbial imbalance in the gut. There's usually uh, some kind of um, emotional piece that they're reacting to and responding to in their environment. Um, sometimes it can be something going on biochemically, you know, in terms of neurotransmitters. It can be an immune response that, that occurs. I mean, there's so many different factors to it, um, and it really does take that, you know, that moment that parent needs to sit back, sit back and kind of calmly try and unwind the pieces um, that are playing into the symptoms, and um, it, it can it can be it can be draining uh, unless you can sort of get, get some perspective about it. Very true. Well, Beth, I can't believe how quick our half an hour has gone. Can you tell our audience how they can get in contact with you, um, your website details, um, and, and buy your book from? Sure. Um, well, my book is available on Amazon.com and Barnes & Noble. It's um, A Compromised Generation. You can also go to my website, www.acompromisedgeneration.com. And my nonprofit is Epidemic Answers, which is epidemicanswers.org. Um, so I can always be reached through one of those two websites. Wonderful. Thank you, Beth. It's been a pleasure having you on today. And thank you so much for the amazing advice um, that you've shared and that the work that you're doing to help so many people out there. Thank you. Same to you, Donna. <laughs> you're welcome. And a big thank you to all of our audience for tuning in today. If you'd like to learn more about NLP, then tune in each week and also visit my website, www.donnablinston.com, where you can pick up a copy of my best-selling book, Psychobabble, straightforward, plain English guide to the benefits of NLP. Also visit theorganicview.com and sign up for our newsletter, which will keep you updated with the up-and-coming shows, guests,